Hello and welcome to this episode of Drug Target Reviews podcast, sponsored by Molecular Devices. I'm your host, Ria Kakad, Editorial Assistant at Drug Target Review. Today I'll be joined by Dr. Ilya Lukonin, a scientist in organoid phenotyping at Roche Institute for Translational Bioengineering. I'll also be joined by Dr. Pasley Hargrove, Program Officer for the US National Health Institute's Tissue Trip Program. In this episode, we will discuss variability issues in organoids. But before we start, let's hear from our sponsors, Molecular Devices. This podcast is brought to you by Molecular Devices. With its innovative life science technology, Molecular Devices makes scientific breakthroughs possible for academic, pharmaceutical, government, and biotech customers. Head to moleculardevices.com to find out more. Great. So let's get into it. Pasli, thanks so much for joining us today. Can you give us a brief background to your career? Thank you so much for the opportunity to join you today, Ria, and for this really fascinating podcast on minimizing variability issues in organoids. I am a uh, program officer at the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences, the National Institutes of Health, uh, where I, along with my uh, program director, Dan Tagle, uh, manage the NIH Tissue Chip Program. I have a background in molecular medicine with a concentration in neuroscience. I did my PhD work at the National Institutes of Health at the National Eye Institute um, with Amin Swaroop, looking at retinal um, degenerative mouse models and molecular mechanisms associated with um, pa- uh, disease pathogenesis. And I'm really excited to now be in the translational space um, where I'm really trying to help further the adoption um, and usage of tissue chips um, and organoid models combined with tissue chips. Perfect. Ilya, can you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, I uh, would be happy to. I studied uh, biochemistry originally in uh, Berlin, Germany. And after that, I joined the lab of Priska Liberale at the Friedrich Nietzsche Institute in Basel. Uh, for a PhD where I worked with um, high-content screening in uh, intestinal organoids. Uh, after staying at the institute uh, in a high-content screening and automation uh, expert position, I joined uh, in the last year the newly founded Roche Institute for Translational Bioengineering, or ITB, um, in Basel. Switzerland, um, and I joined the organoid phenotyping platform headed by uh, Mark Bickel uh, in a scientist position. So we are trying to um, uh, bring the organoid technology into the pharma setting and um, basically drive the organoid technology further to for it to find its application in the uh, various aspects of the drug development pipeline. Great, both very interesting journeys. Pasley, can you give a brief introduction to organoids and why there is variability within them? Absolutely. So um, organoids are different than organs on chips. So organoids are these really complex three-dimensional structures or aggregates that are developed from populations of embryonic or induced pluripotent stem cells or organ-specific progenitors. And this occurs through a self organization process that actually mimics in vivo organs. Um, The reason why there's variability um, um, within um, creation or development of organoids is that the formation or development of organoids is really controlled by these stochastic self-organizing principles. 
um, of cell to cell and cell to extracellular matrix interactions, whereby the cells actually coalesce to form masses that are capable of mimicking particular features um, of tissue organization and function. And so organoids are unable to be perfectly consistent in structure and morphology because of this self-organization process. This never occurs biologically the same way twice, just as no two humans are exactly the same um, on a genetic level. Um, another issue with variability um, is um, there is a lack of vascularization and perfusion in many organoid cultures just beyond the superficial layers. And so there can be inefficient oxygen and nutrient transport into the interior of the organoids or the interior cells. This can result really in a necrotic or an apoptotic cell core, which really reduces viability and can introduce additional variability into these cultures. Why are organoids not always consistent in structure and how can this lead to vi viability? Ilya, I think you can lead this question. Yes, I, I believe this is a problem which is inherent into the system. So uh, first of all, those are typically uh, rather large um, uh, cellular structures that consist of, uh, depending on the organoid type, on, of hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousand cells. Uh, which, uh, as one would expect from uh, from a biological system, exhibits a cell-to-cell -cell variability, and uh, there are many factors that can lead to heterogeneity in the organoids. To some degree, this is uh, desired. Let's say for a more complicated uh, organoid system, one would want to have different cell types present in the context of the organoids. However, one would like to ideally see that the um, homeostatic state of the tissue that this uh, organoid system is representing is uh, maintained. Uh, but it can also have undesired consequences such as um, phenotypic variability in, in organoid systems uh, where the phenotypic readout is used to assess the effects of different uh, treatments that um, this model system is used to screen for. Um, so I think there are many uh, biological aspects that give rise to that, but um, most importantly, I think it's the, um, the, the inheritance cell-to-cell -cell variability and um, the fact that uh, the field is rather young in terms of establishing golden standards in organoid culture and standardized media compositions that would help to reduce the heterogeneity there where it is uh, affecting the, the, uh, the, the assay in a negative way. Perfect, thank you so much. Pasley, what are some factors that can cause variability? I think that's a good question. So there are many factors that contribute to variability, um, as we all know. So the reagents and the growth factors that are often purchased commercially can have a lot of lot of lot to lot variability. So to reduce this, um, you know, purchasing enough reagents and growth factors to perform multiple um, replicates of experiments is extremely critical. There's also variability with the person who cultures organoids, right? You know, we're, we're scientists, we're, we're human beings, and so we can't do everything perfectly, and we definitely can't uh, do things automated. Um, so the individual scientists themselves performing the, experience, the experiments and um, their particular culture technique adds a lot of variability. There's been a lot of effort to address this um, within the scientific community. So, for example, um, it's been recently shown um, 
by the Little, uh, the Dr. Little's laboratory at University of Melbourne, that you can use automated um, cellular extrusion bioprinting to improve organoid reproducibility and confirmation. And so they show this in their team um, within uh, kidney organoids. In addition, um, there has been a major push to use single cell technologies to really characterize and improve organoid differentiation. Is there a way in which we can standardize the organoid process? Ilya, I think you can start. I think um, there are ways of addressing many uh, many of the steps in, in this pipeline. So if you think about the uh, high content screening paradigm, the first step is, of course, at the level of the assay design, and there are uh, best practices for uh, drafting the library for how the conditions have to be distributed across assay plates and you know if those are maintained this is something which which we have present in the screening community and which can be used as a resource and basically this has a, a very good impact on the quality of the study right uh, the, the um, next step after drafting the library is to um, standardize the assay conditions uh, for the cell culture um, and miniaturize uh, the system to um, typically to a 384 or 1536 uh, plate format. And I think basically here, uh, the, this potential has not been used up yet. So as I mentioned, we there are a lot of discrepancies between different organizations with respect to uh, uh, protocols used for particular model systems. And uh, there is not really a resource where one could uh, overview this comprehensively. So I think this is basically what, what we addressed in the previous parts uh, of the discussion. And uh, after that, the, the subsequent steps are in an image-based screen is actually imaging. And I think this is uh, an important factor which similarly lacks from, from let's say, standardization. I think quality control uh, on the device side uh, for, for microscopes is a crucial um, step that is often overlooked uh, and I think having uh, standardized quality control checks on the microscopes would, would also be a major factor in, in making the results more reproducible. Uh, and ultimately this data that one amasses during the screening campaign it needs to be um, normalized and analyzed and I believe whereas uh, for the uh, normalization and um, uh, normalizing plate effects etc there are in fact many uh, approaches which have been well described in literature uh, the analysis and the interpretation of this data uh, is uh, more or less an open field so I think there are many approaches to uh, uh, trying to, to infer the biological insight from the data that one generates during screening. And uh, I think there are also quite various approaches to that. So I think the, the, there, there could be uh, uh, a consensus in the field uh, on how to exactly go about and what you could infer from So Ilya, you've already spoken about standardized culture conditions, but are there other ways in which scientists can solve these issues? I believe that uh, we can divide my answer to this question into two parts. So I think uh, one very promising route is kind of a, 
is, is automation and upscaling of organoids uh, culture and uh, of the organoid assets in general. Uh, I think more so it's important for uh, organoids that are cultured, for organoid systems that are cultured longer term, such as, let's say, brain or retinal organoids. And I think great potential lies in sort of an industrialized production of those organoids, um, which could be um, made uh, kind of, a, a, there, there could be good practices on, on producing those. Uh, and making sure that the studies involving such organoid systems start from comparable entry points, uh, which I think would make uh, comparing notes between different uh, labs a much easier endeavor than it is right now. Uh, and I believe that uh, organoid culture automation in general is in fact a way to reduce variability between both within a lab, between different batches of cells, uh, but also between different um, between different labs, uh, as the handling procedures can be then standardized, which is not really feasible to do for for manual cell culture, as there are many factors at play. Thanks so much, Pasley. Do you have any other ideas in which researchers can solve these issues? So yeah, there's there's a lot of promising methods that are that are coming out, um, particularly with automation and creating organoids. Um, I'm sure we're all pretty well aware of the large scale biobanks of patient specific iPSC lines that have been derived from disease affected individuals and healthy controls, and those biobanks are, um, you know, present globally. Um, and really the overarching goal of these biobanks is to provide researchers with really reliable sources of samples for their downstream analysis. And so it's really imperative that the processing steps um, here are standardized to really maintain biospecimen integrity during each of the procedures. And, and this issue has been addressed actually in the past by the International Organization for Standardization, um, or ISO, to really ensure quality and reproducibility in biobanking. And because those are the cells we're going to start out with before we move on um, before we, you know, kind of push them experimentally to organoids. And so um, that's something that we can do at the very beginning to kind of um, improve the quality, um, I think, of, of organoids in general. Another example would be through phenotypic analysis and cell tracking. So um, as, as we've developed organoids, we've also seen an accompaniment of uh, rapid progress in 3D imaging methods uh, to really look at and visualize their structural complexity. So we've taken a lot of new techniques um, with improved clearing procedures to really allow researchers to observe cellular architecture at unprecedented levels and without com compromising the tissue integrity. So organoids themselves are really amenable to live imaging and you can study spatiotemporal changes um, in their biological processes at high resolution. Um, but it's important to note that the automation of organoid imaging is really limited due to the high dimensionality of the data the ability for um, artifacts to present themselves, um, low contrast, and a lot of bright field noise. So address, to address these bottlenecks, uh, many researchers have developed uh, cell segmentation and tracking algorithms. So for example, there's a team um, that created OrganoSeg, uh, which is an automated, automated package to analyze bright field images for, for organoids. Um, they can do morphometric profiling and correlate this with transcriptomic profiles from bulgarnate sequencing, which allows them to identify genes that are associated with 
organoid size. Um, other groups have actually focused on al algorithms for um, fluorescent microscopy uh, designed for high throughput applications. Uh, one particular team um, led by Bradenburg et al used a semi-automated method based on um, ImageJ software from Fiji to compare the responses of their different uh, colon uh, uh, tumoroids and organoids that are derived from patient biopsies um, and a human uh, colon carcinoma cell line uh, to FDA-approved and experimental uh, chemotherapeutics. And so really automation, um, cell tracking, phenotypic analysis, um, image analysis can really provide us much more assurance um, that variability issues are reduced. I imagine that these variability issues can influence research, especially when thinking down the line to phase one and further clinical stages. This leads to my next question. How can variability impact the understanding of whether a drug candidate could work in humans? issue that I believe uh, is, is limiting the rate at which the organoid technologies take hold in the, in the um, drug discovery process uh, is actually linked not to the presence of variability, but rather to, to lack thereof. I believe that uh, we need uh, adequate biobanking efforts. Uh, in order to biobank organoids from different tissues and to incorporate a variety of donors. Uh, and this needs to be a resource available to the field, because only then can we achieve um, certain diversity in the donor background when, um, when, when screening for, uh, for, for drug candidates. Um, I believe that there is a substantial variability in drug responses across different um, uh, strata of donors, and this is severely underrepresented in the biobanks uh, that that are available to both researchers in the academia, but also to the uh, pharma uh, for their drug development efforts. And um, this can be, this can in fact uh, be quality of the studies performed and it will be it will continue having an impact until we manage to uh, come up with proper uh, solution for for this problem um, in in a way I think uh, what needs to be done is is uh, a consensus on the side of human geneticists uh, what uh, kind of degree of sampling of the general population is required for the biobank of organoids to be representative and I think on the screening uh, side we need to have a consensus on how many different uh, donor backgrounds one would have to screen to have a conclusive result uh, because this risks uh, yeah, I, I think this, this, this risks quite a lot of uh, uh, false negatives, for instance, uh, but also, I guess, false positives in, in that respect as well. I, I believe that the patient, uh, the fact that organoids can be generated from uh, a patient background uh, should be taken advantage of, and uh, this would be the way to um, fully exploit the potential that the organoid systems offer. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today in this discussion, but thank you so much, Dr. Elia Lukonin, 
and Dr. Pasley Hargrove for joining me on this podcast, and thanks so much for your excellent points. It's been fantastic to speak with you both. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to this Drug Target Review podcast, sponsored by Molecular Devices. I've been Ria Kakad, Editorial Assistant at Drug Target Review. Make sure to keep an eye out for our next podcast, which is coming very soon.